93.3 ESPN presents the Sports Bash with Mike Gill. It's time for Football at Four with Jeff Mosier, powered by the Inside the Birds podcast. I love coaching this football team. I love coaching those players in there. Now, live from inside the Matt Black Kia Studios, it's Football at Four. It is Football at Four, powered by the Inside the Birds podcast and brought to you by... PlaySugarHouse.com. Sign up now. They'll match your first deposit up to $250. Jeff Mosher is here. Follow him on Twitter at Jeff Mosher NFL. New podcast dropped this morning. What's going on with Alshon? How will he fit in? Lane Johnson injury report just dropped. We'll get all the insight right now during Football at Four with Jeff Mosher here on the Sports Bash on 97.3 ESPN. He, like all guests, appears via the Boardwalk Honda Hotline. Mosh, what's up, buddy? How are we doing, fellas? We made it to Friday. We did make it to Friday. We are ready to go. It's Eagles-Giants week two, by the way. Add that little nugget mm-hmm. into the mix. And this game actually uh, has a little bit of a meaning because, hey, the Giants win this thing. They are right there. But the Eagles win this thing, and they can really kind of separate themselves from this bunch because these these teams are running out of time. And, look, I think most people feel, see if you feel the same way, whoever wins the most division games is going to win this division. Yeah, that's yeah. I, I think that's fair to say. The way it's so tight, I, I agree with you. And um, everybody kind of playing the same schedule. So all the teams that you think the Eagles are going to either lose to or beat, you're probably feeling the same way about those teams regarding the Cowboys, the Giants, and Washington too. So yeah, I would agree with you. Whoever has the best division record, probably going to win the division. That's probably uh, the way this thing will go. So a big win this week for the Eagles would put them um, in, in a pretty good spot. All right, how will they get it done? Let's see. Fletcher Cox did not participate because of an illness, but the likelihood is that he will play on Sunday? Yeah, I, I would think so. He was being held out for uh, an, uh, an illness not COVID-related. Uh, he has you know, missed practice or, or things like this before and been able to play. So as long as nothing is um, – you know, ailing him too bad that he can't get out of bed. I assume he's going to play. Craig James is out for the game. Not uh, a huge loss there. Also considering that Craven LeBlanc uh, looks like he will be back and ready to go. Uh, so I guess the other big questions, you got Nate Herbig still on this list, Jack Driscoll on this list, Lane Johnson on this list. Uh, I guess Lane Johnson is interesting because if he can't go and Driscoll can play, does Driscoll get the call at right tackle, or is that Jordan Mailata? I would think for this week it would be Jordan Mailata. I think Mailata for this week, <coughs> excuse me, will be your um, backup swing tackle because he's been playing because he was starting just a couple of weeks ago, and Driscoll has been out a couple of weeks. And um, I think the team this year is really focusing more, especially now, on the the ramp up process of getting guys back on the field as opposed to just throwing someone in a spot just because they're healthy. Um, you know, yes, they played Jalen Rager twice earlier than expected, but that's after the kid practiced and after he showed to them, he could hold up. He's also a wide receiver. Uh, but I do think you heard Doug talk about Lane Johnson and Isaac Sayomalo and how they've been limited in their practice at times. He said it's a little misleading. He doesn't want people to think that they're only doing stretching individuals, but they're limited because one of them has been nursing a season-long injury and the other hasn't played since the second week of the season. So, uh, and I'm just making a guess here, but I would think that they've taken it slowly this as the week has gone on 
with Sayamalu to try to kind of build him up to be ready for the game because with all the injuries and all the crazy kind of IR rules this year, I think you have seen guys go on IR, come back, play, go limping right off. I mean, I think they're trying to do this thing the right way. So the only player on the 53 not available is Craig James. We just mentioned Lane. You mentioned Isaac. He is not on the 53, so he is not listed on the injury report. I don't know that right. if Doug gave any nuggets or clues today about Sayamala and whether or not uh, he will be ready to go on Sunday. Yeah, I mean, it was hard to diagnose what Doug said. I mean, he mentioned how Sayamala has been limited, but he also said that, like I said, it could be misleading. Uh, I would think that if, if Lane Johnson is going to play and he's been dealing with this thing all year long, um, then it's hard to think that they're not going to play Sayamalo as long as Sayamalo is 100% uh, recovered and not feeling any soreness or tightness. Now, his conditioning may be a little bit of a question, but again, that's why they have these, you know, I mean, he's had really two weeks with the bye week. You know, I'm sure he's, he was getting his cardio in. I would think if he's ready to play, they will play him. The only guy out being Craig James, you know, it's is it a big deal? It's not a huge deal, but it kind of is if a starting corner gets hurt, right? Because they're not very deep behind Darius Slay and um, Avante Maddox. And you saw against the Cowboys, when Slay came off the field, they had to go all the way down to Michael Jaquette to get in there to play the outside corner role. They really don't want to have to play Craven LeBlanc or um, even Nikel Roby Coleman outside unless they absolutely have to. But you really don't want to do that against the Giants who, who can give give you a little bit of size on the perimeter there. They especially they can even put Ingram out there, a wide receiver, a little bit. So you would like Craig James to be healthy in this situation, but they will have to make do without him. Another name on this injury report is Alshon Jeffrey. He was a full participant in practice. We kind of hypothetically talked about this all season long, it seemed, anticipating his return. But what is Alshon Jeffrey's role going to be? You know what? Your guess is as good as mine. Um, Adam and I have talked about this in great detail on the podcast, and we can only really judge it by what happens this weekend. I think this is going to be a very telltale Sunday for Alshon Jeffrey in his future. Uh, I'm, you know, if he if he's active, you'd have to think he's going to play, and if he plays a few snaps, maybe eight, ten snaps, I don't know, whatever the number is, you're going to have to think that that's pretty much the role that they have for him going forward because Travis Fulgham is entrenched at the X and he is the future. And you've got Rager at the Z and Hightower and Ward. Uh, I mean, I just don't see a whole lot of room for Alshon Jeffrey to become a full-time starter again, unless they want to pull one of their future pieces off the field. And I don't think they want to do that, but I'm also not convinced that he's going to play. Uh, and that's uh, something that we've talked about. And, you, mean, I, and, you know, I'll be proven you mean right or not, wrong on Sunday. You mean not active for the game, just like inactive? I think it's a possibility. Uh, so we'll have to come see. I've speculated this. I'm not reporting anything. It's mm-hmm. just a vibe. Uh, I, I, I think I talked to you guys on, on Wednesday about why there is risk on both sides for him even playing. There's risk on the organization side because we know the organization would like to cut ties with him in the offseason and it won't be nearly as expensive to do so as it was this past offseason. And you can't cut ties with him if he's hurt. So if he gets hurt again, then if you want to cut ties, right, then you got to pay an injury settlement. And they're trying not to pay him any more money. And for Alshon, you know you're going to be a free agent this offseason or probably maybe traded, but more likely cut and going into free agency. You know that teams are already kind of leery about how much they're going to spend because the salary cap may be going down. The last thing you want to do if you're Alshon Jeffrey is get hurt over these next eight games and limp into a 
a tenuous free agency. You want to be healthy, right? You want to show teams that you've lost all this weight, you're athletic, you can go and work out for or or take a physical for them and that you're ready to be the Alshon of maybe a year or two ago and you can't do that uh, clearly if um, you know, you're hurt again. So there's risk in Alshon getting on the field for both him and for the organization. Now, Doug did say today that we have a plan for him. We need to get through another day of practice first, but he said he's a veteran player. He's been one of our starters, but he did say we have a plan for him. So I kind of read this as, and again, I'm just trying to read the tea leaves here a little bit, that Jeffrey Mm -hmm. has a package. He's not usurping anybody in the lineup, but there will be some plays that they run for him specifically 10 to 12. Yeah, you know, he did say he had a plan, right, in which that, that would normally kind of counteract what I'm saying. However, we, we've seen Doug or any coach say one thing and a different thing happens. I believe he also said in the press conference, you know, he's got to talk to Alshon uh, about, you know, what they're going to do. And, you know, again, if Alshon says, yeah, I'm ready to play, but you know what, I'd rather just not, then they have to kind of, you know, navigate around that if that situation were to occur again i'm not reporting it i'm just simply kind of speculating because i've seen some crazy things happen in this league and it's been very odd how alshon they thought was going to be ready for you know to go by september early october and it's now you know mid-november and he still hasn't played yet how big you know obviously if say amala plays okay and they can get him back and and let's start with that if say amala doesn't play does that change anything or do they just throw i mean does Herbig go to – what happens if Sayamala doesn't play, I guess? That really hasn't been brought up. Yeah, well, I mean, I think it, it becomes a situation, again, where Nate Herbig plays left guard and Matt Pryor plays right guard. So, um, again, yeah, that's kind of what they've done uh, with him out so far. And, and when they've been able to use those two guys, you know, when Pryor was not on the COVID list, um, he was able to get in there and play. And that's what I think they would do. I think the big question is if Sayamala is going to play – He's not on the 53-man roster right now. He's on an IR. So when he gets activated, what happens? I mean, I think the likeliest guy to go is Brett Toth because they don't really want him playing in games, even though he's had to uh, already. But the Eagles have 10 offensive linemen, I believe, on their 53-man, which is two more than they would normally carry. So, I mean, you got guys like Luke Chariga uh, taking up spots right now. Sua Opeta, I believe, is still on the 53 and these guys with Sam back just have no shot at getting on on the field. So it'll be interesting to see if one of those guys goes or if, if there's another, you know, um, transaction made in a different position. Miles Sanders returning is obviously huge, but how do you think Boston Scott being a Giants killer, if you will, impacts the way that Doug Peterson might approach this from a running back perspective? Uh, yeah, I think Giants notwithstanding, Hunter, I think the, the, the thing that they really need to do is figure out how to get Boston Scott um, maximum production in the minimal reps that he's going to have in a game when Miles Sanders is back. Because Boston was clearly a productive player while Miles Sanders was out. Not as much as Miles, but productive enough. And obviously the big catch against the Giants. But in those games that Miles Sanders has played, it seems like Scott and Corey Clement just completely disappear. And then when they're called on, there's just really nothing special there. So I feel like Doug's got to dig a little bit deeper into the playbook and into his creativity to figure out ways to keep those guys more productive. I don't know if you can get them more involved. I mean, think about it right now. You got Fulgham do what he's doing. You got Rager back. You're going to have Dallas Goddard back. You have Miles Sanders back. I'm not sitting here saying you got to put the ball in Boston Scott's hands 
seven or eight times a game or even five or six. It may just be three or four, but you've got to – it can't just be a run up the middle. You know what I'm saying? I think you got to figure out a way to, to get him on the quick stuff and, and capitalize on his strengths in those – minimal snaps that he's going to play. Yeah, I, I agree with that. That's a great point is that it seems that when he has Boston all to himself, he has a good plan for him, but he can't figure out what to do with them in limited time. And and we talked about this Wednesday, you know, there's no injury designation at all for Miles Sanders. Uh, full participant, He you know, he's going to play in the game, obviously, it looks like. Um, but can he carry the load? And I wonder if Doug, info, you know, adds more stuff for Boston with that in mind. Is hey, maybe Miles just isn't ready to give him the workload that I've given him. Yet at the same time, we're saying they got to give more work to Sanders. <laughs> I know, right? It's it's funny because I think like three or four weeks ago, Doug wished he would have had enough offensive weapons to have to build a a nice, you know, well balanced playbook around. And now it seems like we're talking about guys that he has to incorporate somehow into the game plan, and how difficult that might be for him. Um, you know, we saw it earlier that he seemed reluctant to want to play Miles a lot in the fourth quarter early on. Miles missed a lot of training camp, um, missed the first game of the season. By the way, this is only going to be the second game, I believe, where both Jason Peters and Miles Sanders are playing in the same game, right? Because Miles missed week one, and then he came back week two. Jason played, and Jason got hurt at the end of week three against the Bengals, uh, Jason Peters. So, really, just those two weeks were Miles Sanders and Jason Peters together. So it'll be, it's kind of, I thought Jason did a really nice job, uh, especially in run blocking against Dallas on the backside of a lot of those runs. So, and that, that's an area that Miles likes to cut back into. So it'll be interesting to see how that works. But yeah, I think in general, Doug's got to figure out a way to kind of make these moving pieces work. And that, and that goes back to Alshon. I just don't see how he can have so much of an expanded role and, and or even who knows how many snaps he'll get with him being coming back. I, I guess if Alshon is healthy, there's a situation, um, a strong possibility that J.J. Ortega-Whiteside is a healthy scratch? Oh, that's a good question. So if Alshon would be active, he'd be one, Fulgham would be two, Rager would be three, Ward would be four, Hightower would be five. Yeah, Ortega-Whiteside is theoretically six. I think that there's – and he doesn't really play – on special teams, if I'm not mistaken. So I think that there's a chance that that might happen. Yeah. That would be uh, interesting writing on the wall there to see what happens uh, with him and his well, future. Yeah, go ahead. Right, and that goes back into it. Like, I know Arthago Whiteside doesn't play a lot of snaps either on offense, so he's taking up a spot, per se, that could go to somebody. But you're gonna ha are you going to have Alshon be take up a spot here uh, or continue to take a spot and not, you know, and be active when the game plan is really only to get him – what the ball five or six times. I mean, you have to be smart about who's on your 53 and who's not because of injuries that happen during the game. At least Alshon so serves a purpose in the, uh, you could use him as a red zone <laughs> guy, right? I mean, Artego Whiteside has Zippo purpose. Well, that's how we tend to think, right? But I bet you, if you talk to the coaches, right. And there is a little bit of truth to this. Um, when they do want to run and go a little heavy up front, they get Artego Whiteside on the field and he has been a good blocker. I know, I feel like I sound like Chip Kelly and the and the uh, Riley Cooper thing, but I mean that's what they use him for, and we've seen on many of Miles Sanders' runs that he has been a good downfield blocker on them. That's an important part of the game that you know sometimes we just go eh, but it is important. So they will have to actually decide on whether they at least want that for a few snaps or the potential of Jeffrey maybe in the red zone for a few snaps. Fair. Um, 
I want to get your take on Goddard. Uh, he did not have a huge impact against Dallas, but he was out there a lot, so he's seemingly healthy. Uh, the giant linebackers up against Goddard this week. Can, can Doug Peterson say, because Goddard, I thought in week one, it looked like he was going to have a breakout year. And, I mean, that seems like mm-hmm. a, almost two seasons ago. I can't remember the last time Goddard caught a pass, it feels like. I know he's been hurt, but I feel like mm-hmm. they felt that Goddard had more of an impact in the offense than they're getting. Yeah, you know, he did have an impact against Dallas. I got to admit, it it was hard to notice it, but he was really used a lot as an inline blocker. I mean, we know he can block and we know he can catch, but I guess for his first game back, they limited his responsibilities and said, just be a blocker. And they ran the ball really well when they did decide to run. They ran the ball well. And a lot of that was because of his ability to kind of come across scrimmage, those wham blocks uh, that we talk about all the time. He did an excellent job of sealing off the edge rusher. So he did have an impact. In the running game, he just didn't have an impact in the passing game. I, I, I tend to think now, two weeks later, you had the bye week to get some extra rest and recovery, that he should be kind of ready to go. And the Giants' defense is is one that you can beat over the middle. They don't have great uh, coverage guys over the interior. So I'd be surprised if Dallas did, I didn't have a good game. I don't know if he's going to have 120 yards on a touchdown, but I wouldn't be, wouldn't be afraid of starting him in my fantasy league. I think he could have that kind of potential. So when you look at this matchup, the Eagles will win this game if blank. Oh, this is the easiest answer that I can give you. Outside of Carson Wentz. Well, I, I won't <laughs> relegate it to Carson Wentz, but clearly he's going to be the either the protagonist or antagonist of this, and it's turning the ball over. If the Eagles don't turn the ball over, I believe they'll win by at least a touchdown. I really do. I think this has got to be a statement game for them. They get all these offensive weapons back. Their defensive line is basically at full strength as well for the first time this year. They found some stability at linebacker with um, Singleton and um, and TJ Edwards, and they've got Maddox and Slay back at corner. Their health, this team is as healthy as it's been all year long, and it's time to be what people thought you were going to be going in the year. And remember, people thought maybe the defense might take a little step back, but you've got weapons now. You've got outside of missing Zach Ertz, you still have Goddard. You've got Miles Sanders. You have a Fulgham who nobody nobody knew would be this good. So he's sort of like your Zach Ertz right now. And you've got Goddard. You can stretch the field with Rager and Hightower. There's really no excuse for this offense to sputter like it has for the last, well, all year, but especially the last two weeks. I mean, this is the week where you got to play smart football, take high percentage passes, move the chains, get the ball in the end zone. Doug's got to be creative. Carson has to be smart with the football. Can't fumble. Can't turn it over. Can't give the Giants second chances. Giants fight hard. They do. Uh, and you mentioned Fulgham. I mean, I just, you know, because Bradbury's a pretty good player. And I'm trying to remember back to the game they played last time. I mean, Fulgham had a pretty good game in that game. Uh, and if they well, – we had Sal on earlier, and he mentioned why the Giants are a bad match defensively because they have a zone defense. They don't blitz a lot. And mm-hmm. then Carson has been having problems. Uh, reading the zone defenses, that the inaccuracies he's had, problems with the zone, that, that, that he's just not finding open receivers. And I'm wondering, like, you know, hey, uh, you got Bradbury. Uh, you, you know, you're trying to go away from him. Does that kind of take Fulgham out of this game? You know, Doug did a really good thing against the Giants uh, a couple of weeks ago. I don't know if it got detected, but um, Fulgham had 73 yards, I think, on six catches. So a pretty good game. Um, and his his biggest catch, though, if you guys remember – it came on the right side of the field. It was a 40-yard. It was like a corner and up route where he got behind 
the coverage there and went up the sideline. Then he then he caught the ball uh, in the middle of the air, did a spin, and then took a hit and kept going up the sideline. It was 40 yards. So he got about 60% of his receiving on that one play, and that was on the opposite side of the field as Bradbury because Bradbury does, doesn't trail a whole lot, and he didn't that game. So I thought it was a good job by Doug to at least – get Fulgham, his best weapon at the time, right. moved off of their best corner. And I suspect that he's going to try to do that a little bit this game too, throw a couple of – I'm sure Fulgham will spend most of his time at the X, but I think you'll see Fulgham probably line up slot, uh, probably line up at the Z and just just move around. I think that's Doug's kind of mission for the next day games with, with Fulgham because all of this is, is so new to Travis, right? And I think that sometimes you see guys get off the hot starts and they're – whether they're a rookie or – or year two, and then kind of settle back in or, or, or regress to the mean where the defense pays attention to him a little more. So I think Doug's really got to make sure that Travis is fully invested every single game and keep the offense lively around him so that the ball is constantly in his hands. The last thing uh, with the wideouts, you know, I wonder, and, and, you know, I don't know if they've said this inside the organization, if they feel like they're not getting as much as they hoped from Rieger. Because you already had people are like, ah, they should have taken X, Y, or Z. I feel like people are already making judgment on Rieger because Jefferson's had, now, like, Jerry Judy had a big game, but he hasn't been consistent. Ruggs hasn't done nearly as much as people thought. CeeDee Lamb hasn't done as much. So I feel like, you know, the rookie receivers have had big moments, and Rieger hasn't had a lot of those big moments. Some of it's because of his injured, but when he has played, he has that one catch that everybody remembers in the first game. But has he given them as much as they had hoped? Well, I mean, I think the injuries really are why he has not. It's more that than the – I mean, he was he's missed so much time because of that surgery um, that it, it's been hard. You're right. He had that nice week one. He got hurt, I think, in week two, right? I think it came against um, – the Rams, yeah. Uh, the Rams, yeah. And and then he was out for so long, he came back. I think we think differently a little bit about his, his game against Dallas if he actually caught that ball uh, at the end there, which he should have caught. I know it wasn't perfectly thrown, but he should have caught that. Then that becomes, what, like a 60-yard, 50, 60-yard touchdown? It would, I don't know how long it was. It would have been pretty long, and it would have added to the fact that he had already had a touchdown and a catch out of the backfield in that game, and, and you would have been like, you really were starting to see more of what you want to see from Jalen Rager. But that was his first game back. I definitely think these next eight games is kind of an opportunity to, to really see what he can do as long as he can stay healthy. All right. Uh, Jeff Mosher, sounds like you like the Eagles. Uh, you know, it's weird. I do. I really like them to win this game because I think they're the better team, the healthier team, and I think they have really good mismatches. The only thing I can never predict, guys, and I'm sure you guys feel the same way, is just, you know, are they going to give the ball away as much as they've been giving up? The unforced errors sometimes that, that are inexplicable. If they don't do that, they win this game, I think, by 7 to 10 points. If if they do that, then all of a sudden it's close and you let the uh, Giants team that's gaining momentum over the past few weeks stay involved. And and then you can have a game like the last time they made up where it was anybody's game there. And the, well, it was really a Giants game. They had it, and then the Eagles had to had to come back. But the Giants won last week against Washington. You know, they win this game. They know that they're in first place. So they've got a lot to play for as well. So they can't be taken lightly. I just think the Eagles got to play a smart game. Tough to beat a team nine straight times. That's what's up uh, this Sunday right here on 97.3 ESPN. Jeff Mosher, Inside the Birds. Don't forget the Inside the Birds pregame show. It starts at 10 a.m. on Sunday 
Adam Kaplan, Jeff Mosher, Greg Cosell, Trey Thomas. They break it all down, leading you into the Eagles and the Giants, which you can listen to right here on 97.3 ESPN. You can watch the Inside the Birds pregame show on all social media platforms. Jeff, have a good one, man. You too, fellas. Have a great weekend. All right. Jeff Mosher, like August, appeared via the Boardwalk Honda Hotline. There we go. He likes Eagles this time. Last time he felt a little, uh, yeah. Remember? That's sharp money. I can't get that out of my brain. So That's you're sharp good. money. Makes me feel better. Let's they update, know what they're doing. Let's update that poll question. We should. At 973 ESPN. Eagles fans, how you feeling about the game? Eagles win. Eagles win and cover. Giants win. 66%. Eagles win. 22. Eagles win and cover. 11. Giants win. That's gone up a little bit. Now, how many people... Oh, just made a move. Ooh. Giants win up to 13%. Eagles win down to 60. Eagles win and cover 26. What if people bet or vote when the number is at 3? It moves to 4. Now they don't feel they're going to cover it. Well, it's at 4 depending on what app you have. Right. It's already there some places. But the line's moving. Maybe people feel, uh-oh, I don't know if they're going to cover that number. Uh, we'll get some more insight on this Giants team. Jordan Ronan, ESPN.com's NFL Nation Giants reporter. Last time we talked to Jordan, he was really down on this team. That was a couple weeks ago. How things are different? Let's find out next. Feeling a lot different than the 2-17s and 17s we've seen in the past. This team's on the way up. Those teams were really bad. Sports Bats brought to you by Recovery Centers of America Drug and Alcohol Addiction Treatment Centers located in Mays Landing, New Jersey, and in Devon, PA. Coming up next hour, don't forget, happy hour Friday with the PT. And one thought, every game with Casey Joyner. Right now, we talk to Jordan Ronan, ESPN NFL Nation Giants reporter, as the Giants host the Eagles. With first place on the line. Can you believe it? Last time we talked to Jordan, he was pretty down on this team. Since then, they lost to the Eagles, lost to the Bucks, But they've been close in a lot of these games. They feel like a team that's making improvement, Jordan. Is that something you're seeing? You're around them a lot more. Does this team feel different than the team three weeks ago? Not really. I mean, they've beaten one team. They've beaten the Washington football team. Uh have they have they played all right? Have they played better? Yeah, they absolutely have. Should they have won a couple games? Yeah. But uh, this is still a team where they have their deficiencies. I mean, they're making improvements, but they're they're not. This isn't going to be a great team this year. This they're they're a little bit limited. So I this is, I've done a few of these Philadelphia interviews this week now. It, it, it's amazing. I mean, I think you guys you guys are way, you guys are high on the Giants. I I, I, I mean. I just I've been kind of been taking it back a little bit. It feels like they, you know, that they've been close. Like they're playing harder. They play hard what, for the coach, and they're close. Mike, Mike, come on, man. What, what kind of league? What kind of is this? Like, uh, you know, uh, uh, youth sports? What are we getting? <laughs> they're, getting they're getting close trophies. Well, this are is they, the get, this is the NFC East, place? Jordan. This is the NFC East. Place trophy. <laughs> hey, this NFC East. Yes, it feels like youth sports. I mean, look. Even if they win. You have to be realistic. Yes, it they, puts them in a division race. They would then be three and seven. The Eagles would be uh, three, five, and one, right? So the Eagles still have a game to make up. The Eagles could lose that game. They're still three, six, and one, which is still ahead of the Giants. So technically, even if the Giants win this game, there's still another, there's still a full game back. 
so it, it, they got their work cut out for them for sure. Uh, but, yeah, they are playing better. Their defense is making improvements every week, I believe. Their offense actually is improving as well, even though it's still really not very good. Uh, they've topped 23 points once this season uh, in a league, by the way, that scoring is way, way up as a whole. So they've definitely struggled to score points, but that's in part because they don't have Saquon Barkley. Yeah. Uh, and that was the, that was the one weapon that you know scared opposing teams, and they're trying to make do without that, and that, that's kind of the handicap that they're dealing with right now. I guess when you watch them this season as opposed to the last couple years, they just were a dumpster fire the last couple of years. I feel like they just are short on talent this year, but do play a lot harder than they have in the past. That is a fair assessment, I believe. I think, yeah, they, they definitely. I don't know about harder is the right word. They're just more competent. I mean, they're they're they are. They're, first of all, they're still short on talent, but they're not as short on talent as they were in a like, defensively. They're significantly better talent wise than they were last year. That, that is the past couple of years. Think about it. They've added um, Leonard Williams. They didn't have all of last year, so they only had him for half of last year. Dexter Lawrence, another good quality defense lineman. He's in his second year. He was, you know, as a second year player, you're naturally better than he is a rookie. They subbed out. Uh, Blake Martinez, a middle linebacker for Alec Ogletree, who's not on an NFL roster. They subbed out Logan Ryan, a really quality player for Antoine Bethea, who's not on an NFL roster. I mean, so yes, they are. They're just significantly upgraded on that side of the ball. You know, as we said, they're still talent-wise not quite there yet. Yeah, and, and I think you could see that, and that's partially why you say, okay, this team is now at least competent because there were weeks last year where you knew if they played a good quarterback, they were going to give up 40. Or any time a quarterback needed to go down and drive and go down the field, it would be one, two, three, which we kind of did see at the end of that first Eagles-Giants game, right, as Carson Wentz, when they needed it at the end, he threw him down the field really easy twice. But the, the promising thing with the Giants is, so then they come back the following week, and you're like, okay, Wentz just tore them apart, right? Late in the game, whatever he needed, he did whatever he wanted with really a bunch of who, you know, a, a bunch of Joes aside of him, right? Who was left in that by the end of that game? Nobody, right? Deshaun was injured at the end, and uh, Lane Johnson wasn't in the game anymore. Miles Sanders wasn't in the game. Austin Jeffrey wasn't in the game. Dallas Goddard didn't play. Jalen Rieger didn't play. Uh, Zach Ertz wasn't playing, and they still drove down the field, no problem. But then the next week they go and they play Tom Brady and the Patriots. And they had Tom Brady reeling for the first half, at least, and then he really didn't have a great game. So they've done a great job in that regard of making the most out of what they have. And, and, and I think that is the one thing that, okay, if you're the Eagles, say, okay, they, they've been able to scheme things up. They've been able to confuse people hanging games. If you let them hang in games, eventually the law of averages is they're going to pull one out. What has surprised you the most when it comes to Joe Judge to this point? I remember discussing this in the preseason. You know, he has people running in practice, running sprints. It's not the player's coach that you are accustomed to, and we didn't really know what to expect. So what surprised you the most? I wouldn't say it surprised me the most, but I'd say uh, the thing right now that pops into my head is that it impresses me the most is that this whole Golden Tate, you know, benching uh, last week and uh, you know he yelled at the camera in the Tampa late in the Tampa Bay game throwing me the ball he's not happy with this decreasing role and Joe Judge who and I know I, look it doesn't surprise me because for me getting to know him I was trying to portray this to people that the, he has that he has that you know hard-nosed old school coach side to him 
but he has a human element to him where he could pull you in and sort of hug you and speak to you and, and really in a, just an average Joe type of way, which is, which is what players want. They want people that are open and honest with them and can talk to them. And so Golden Tate, you know, pulls this off and his wife complains about his role publicly, uh, all this other stuff. Golden Tate actually liked the tweet saying that he, the Giants should cut him so he can go to another team. And Joe Judge benches him, puts him with the scout team first, then benches him, doesn't even take him to Washington. And somehow Golden Tate is still on board and ready to go back and, you know, get back in the action as a third receiver, 50% of the snaps kind of guy. And that's not, to me, that wasn't a given or an easy thing to, for Joe Judge to probably pull off. I mean, Golden Tate could have easily just continued to complain his way until he got out of the Giants. Hmm. He could have easily made it much worse than the, the situation that it became, right? It, there was a situation, Judge handled it, and he I don't know. I, we don't know what that conversation was like behind closed doors. I don't think anybody but Golden Tate and Joe Judge do. But whatever happened in that conversation, he seems to have gotten Golden Tate back on board with his program, which, which is an accomplishment, to say the least. I mean, those veteran players, that those are the ones that you're worried about of whether they could buy into your program. And it seems like he's got him back in. Well, I will say, um, you know, the last couple of years when you watch this Giants team, obviously the quarterback, uh, you, you can probably speak more on this, where they are with this quarterback. I mean, have they – is there any thoughts in the organization that, hey, we might not have the right guy here? I mean, because – uh, obviously, there's a lot of teams around the league who are making their decisions on their quarterback. I mean, Washington's already decided the guy in the same draft isn't their guy. Uh, does yeah. uh, does that somewhere in New York entering their minds at all? I mean, because it seems like that he is a little bit of one of the problems on this two and seven team. Yeah, I, I think they're looking at it right now. Is look, this guy. If we get it right, this guy's going to be good. We see enough flashes that they're still optimistic on that now. I also will throw in the caveat, this is a big seven games. You've got to see improvement. At some point, you've got to stop turning the ball over, right? And even when he didn't turn it over last week and win over Washington, the, the reality is he got damn lucky at one point in the game in the fourth quarter, you know, with like five minutes left, he hits the ball off his own knee and fumbles. And he ends up, you know, recovering his own fumble. But, I mean, when you're talking about the shape of a football it's really just luck that it doesn't when it when it bounces right back to you and when it bounces away. So I can't you can't feel what be that okay he didn't finally didn't turn the ball over for the second time in 21 starts and you can't even leave that game and feel great about it because he put the ball on the floor twice. <laughs> so like at some point I think the Giants need to see that some of the same mistakes aren't happening over and over again. That some of the lack of pocket awareness and just that kind of bonehead, foolish plays, uh, that they kind of disappear. So I think this is a big final seven games for stretch for both Jones and the Giants. But they, and Joe Jones in particular, has been steadfast in his support. And so they're not benching him, I'll tell you that much. All right, uh, that's an interesting point there. Jordan Ronan, ESPN.com, ESPN's NFL Nation, covers the Giants. And obviously, you mentioned uh, if the Giants win, they're a game closer to the top. If the Eagles win, there's kind of a little bit of a separation here. But i got to imagine... If the Eagles win, if the Eagles win you got to be honest, this division is pretty much over. And in my mind, I mean, at least. I mean, they, they, they have a pretty big lead if they, if they win this game. I mean, what, what is it, 4-4-1? Four, four, 
They got a five. Yeah, they got a five game stretch coming up though, where they're not going to be favored in any of those games. I mean, unless they're look. If yeah, but that's a, that's a two and a half game lead with with seven to go. That's that's pretty big, especially when we're talking about how many. How many it's not like these other teams are going to put together five in a row. You know, right, right. Put no. together five in a row. Nobody. Crazy to think. I mean, the Washington, Washington, and the Giants are going to be underdogs in pretty much every other game they play this year. Now, what was the what was what was the reaction out there after that Eagles game the last time when Ingram dropped that pass? I mean, they had a feel like, my God, we're we're right there. Yeah, they blew. It. They let that game away. Exactly. I mean, so, I mean, they got to feel. That's exactly what they felt that game. I mean, they, they thought they should have won that game, uh, but the reality is, they, they, unfortunately for them. <laughs> They felt that they felt, they felt that way a lot over the last couple of years, and that, that's why maybe I'm a little more on the negative side. Like I, I mean, you know how many times over the past five, six, seven years I've heard, "Well, we're playing close, but with these these close games are bound to flip." Well, you know what? Fair. I've come to realize part of the reason they don't, and the Eagles won that game, right? The Giants still don't have that defensive player, that difference maker, that, that you know, the guy that's going to end the game or you know put it away. Like the Giants played Arizona last year. And Chandler Jones pretty much single-handedly ended the game in the second half, right? Uh, Brandon Graham did it when the Giants played the Eagles. The Gi- and what Carson Wentz drove down the field, the Giants don't have that guy. So it's not just this coincidence that, the, that these late-game collapses or inability to put games away are happening. And they don't have – name me the Giants Pro Bowl player, for God's sake. Like, who's a lock on the Giants to even make a Pro Bowl? Yeah. Well, I'll take Blake Martinez over anybody at linebacker on this Eagles team. I can tell you that much. <laughs> well, I mean, Mike, that's a pretty low bar from what I've seen. I noticed. I noticed this. If you have opposing tight ends in fantasy, like Evan Ingram struggles. He's been struggling. He leads. He's tied for the league lead and drops with six. But when you're playing the Eagles, you want the uh, you want you want that tight end who's starting against the Eagles. I I, I do. I did see that. I mean, I so. The Giants are going to try to get the ball to Evan Ingram for all his struggles, for all his problems, still flashes. Uh, and, and you're right, that linebacker spot is a definite weak spot. You know, big, big wart, nasty wart on the Eagles that they just can't get rid of. Uh, Jordan Ronan covers the Giants, ESPN's NFL Nation. He, like all guests, appeared via the boardwalk on the hotline. Jordan, thanks so much, man. You got it, guys. You guys have a good one. Enjoy the game on Sunday. You do the same, and, of course, you can hear the game right here. On 97.3 ESPN, Merrill Reese, Mike Quick have the call. Billy Schwam in the locker room, 10 a.m. We'll take you right into the Eagles radio network. Merrill and Mike at 1 o'clock on 97.3 ESPN. We'll do a little Ask Mike and Broads on the other side. Happy Hour Friday, Casey Joyner. Five questions. Our picks still to come. Don't go away. Turn it on. All right, Sports Bash Live, 97.3 ESPN. Ask Mike and Bros on a Friday. It's brought to you by Prop Swap, where America buys and sells sports bets. Check them out at PropSwap.com. Now, we've been telling you all week, the Masters is here. Go to PropSwap.com and buy and sell Masters tickets. I mean, people, there's a guy here that Prop Swaps these Masters tickets all day. He bought, like, all these underdogs, right? And then he starts selling it. He said he made big money on a on a Masters uh, prop swap ticket already. You know, because you got a guy like, I don't know, Danny Willett, seven under par. Well, what was he at the beginning of this tournament? You post that up on prop swap, somebody buys it. Paul Casey's still seven under. Tiger Woods, by the way, he's in action right now. And he is three under. So he bogeyed one of the holes. So he's kind of dropping just a little bit, though. So... 
Uh, go to PropSwap.com and check out how that all works. All right, what do we got? What do we got on a Friday? Well, Mark V chimes in and asks, how are your golf games? I guess maybe he's in master's mode here. Mine's not very good. I'm one of those who can, like, hit one every once in a while. I'll play good for, like, three or four straight holes, and then I'm just terrible like the rest of them around. I'll get into a little groove, though, where I'll I'll play well for, like, three or four. Like, if you if I'm on your um, scramble team, you'll get a couple shots out of me. So maybe you go with, like, are you a bomber? Like, you can definitely crush it? Or no? You're not uh, so much power. I mean, I can. I okay. mean, but not like what? Because we have a buddy that he's so good at bombing it. So what I would do is I'll play it safe. We'll use my ball if it's if his is out of You whack. go straight? Yeah. So here's, here's where I'm at with the golf game. On the scorecard, you would probably laugh because it's like 100, 102, 101. But I don't play that. So I'm straight. Not a lot of power. I'm straight constantly. I'll get on the green consistently for like bogey golf. And then I'll three-putt, or I'll four-putt, and then it makes the score look way worse than what it really is. My putting sucks. It is so bad. Well, see, I'll always, like, bang a putt, like, wow, 25-foot putt. Like, I'll hit one of those. My problem is my short game is horrific. It's tough, man. It really is hard. But, yeah, but I, I get there. I hit the fairway. I'm not all over the place. I'm not lost in the woods too much. But once I get on that green, I have a really tough time. Yeah, mine's more in that short area, like within like a hundred. Right, using that like, pitching wedge. Yeah, like anytime that. I have to go to an iron, I'm in trouble. Yeah, like I, I feel can, comfortable with my irons. I'll get into a groove with the with the driver, one of those hybrids, and where I can bang it off the tee, and then if I go like you know, I drive one like 170, I can bang it again. It's that little short area from like a hundred in where I struggle. I don't have a lot of power. Like it, it bothers me that. My irons almost shoot the same sometimes because I, I just don't get a lot of that hip movement in there to really force more into the ball. It's like every iron I use, I feel I get the same result. It's crazy. You got to play play golf with the PT one time. Good golfer? He's not bad, but like he has this abnormal, like when he putts, he's like left eye or right eye dominant. So when he putts, he stands over the ball, but his head is like looking in the opposite direction. I could see PT pulling a little happy Gilmore hockey stick putt. Nah, I mean he could—he's he, not bad though. I mean I would say that he's better than I am, which isn't saying much. So yeah, he—he's better than I. Am. He's more consistent than I am. When you go out and he, to and golf, he talks like he knows what he's doing, so that helps. Right, no doubt. Now when you go out, are you a fan of the "Hey boys, let's grab a thirty, have some fun," or do you like the "I want to"? You know, I want to play. Like, I want to focus on the game. Or do you have your moments where, hey, you're ready to party on the course, and then, hey, you're ready to focus? Because there's two different mental states to golf. I don't play enough. You don't play enough? Like, the three times a year I play, two of them are, like, station events. Okay. You know, where that option isn't in play. And other than that, I don't typically play. Like, I play in the LPGA Pro-Am. I play in the LPGA Media Day. And then maybe one other, like, you know, event throughout the year. I don't. I don't know. remember the last time I was like, yo, let's just go out and golf today. All right, well, we're going to do that when it gets nicer. My next-door neighbor actually called me about, hey, we should start playing every Sunday. And then I haven't heard from him since. Well, I think we should maybe put down a game plan. Once it starts getting nicer, we should totally go out and swing swing sticks. I mean, last weekend, it was beautiful out. I know. Uh, somebody, uh, my buddy texted me and said, hey, do you want to go golf today? And it was like 1045 in the morning, and I was just like, yeah. 
Nah, not feeling it. There's two different atmospheres, really. I mean, I like the whole, hey, let's bring the 30, let's shotgun a beer every hole kind of thing. Those are always fun. But, you know, my grandfather's a huge golf guy. He's a part of so many different country clubs and all. So sometimes he likes to take me golfing. And that's more of a, hey, let's work on the game. Let's really focus on things. And I enjoy that, too, because that helps me get better. You know what I mean? I feel like, what am I working on, though? I'm never going to be good at this game. Well, that's what I was going to say. It's tough to be a casual golfer because you can't just be casual and pick up on a lot of things. It's either you're committed to being a better golfer or you just like to have fun, which yes. is fine. Like, I'm never going to be good at that game no matter what. I don't have time to be good at that game. Right. It takes a lot of time. Uh, Tom from the Bills wants to know, guys, car, SUV, or pickup truck? I like pickups. I just, I'm not there yet. I'm still rocking the whole, like, I'm buying the used car and I'm rocking it till it drops, kind of thing. But yep. if I could have like a really nice pickup, that's what I would prefer. Yeah, my last couple of, I've been an SUV guy. I got Lee, the Mazda three. I had Ronda the Honda. Wow. I had Miley Cirrus, which was a Chrysler Cirrus. Ask Mike and Broads brought to you by Prop Swap.